Hi, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. On this episode, we have a special guest. Yes, we do. We are here today with B.R. Yeager, author of Negative Space and Amygdala Tropolis, as well as Pearl Death. And we are going to talk to him about Blake Butler's 300 million and the use of second person and how to do it without sounding like a total cornball. All right. I think it's a great episode. So. Yeah, specifically second person to break the fourth wall, second person that's talking mm-hmm. directly to the reader. It's super mm-hmm. weird. I thought it was weird. Mm-hmm. I think you'll like it too. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy. Well, hi, Emily. Hi, Ben. Ben, you want to say hi? I'm very excited about today. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Are you? I can't tell. Yes. I'm intensely excited about today um, because uh, the audience probably knows from the episode title, I'm going to guess, because we're going to put this front and center, but we have a very special guest today, um, and I'm very excited to introduce him. We have with us the author of such books as Negative Space and Amygdalatropolis, and the author, creator, hewer, whatever you would like to refer to the creation process of it is, of Pearl Death, uh, which was recently featured here on a recent uh, episode of Good Writing. We have B.R. Yeager. B.R. Yeager! Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. (laughs) B.R. Yeager, welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. Welcome, B.R. Hello, thank you for having me. Much appreciated. We are so delighted that you stumbled upon us. Um, for any yeah. audience member listening, this is why we say to email us at the end of the episode. Because yeah. sometimes B.R. <laughs> Yeager emails you. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, we, we, we welcome you and honor you and are happy to have you. And to just get into things, I guess we want to ask, um, what... You know, how's your writing going right now? How's writing going? We can be honest about that. And um, what what exactly is your writing process when you sit down to write? What does that look like for you? Well, right now, my writing process is it's particularly frayed and out and kind of out of any uh, particular routine. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Completely. Like like yeah. many people. Yeah. Um, it, it's pretty much just kind of like when. I, I try to write at least maybe like half a page longhand. Um, mm-hmm. I try to do that a day. That that's nice. often doesn't happen. Um, but it's just very sporadic. It's when when I'm feeling it, when I have the uh, the focus to do it. Um, one thing is that it, yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I believe that's very common right now yes yeah yeah we all have our this, Go ahead. this may be an ignorant question br you do other things than writing right you are among ben and i both have full-time jobs and um i think all of our mm. writer friends have full-time jobs in oh god yeah fitting this in. okay cool absolutely um, completely how do you fit in publishing was it three projects in the past recently <laughs> how do you fit in this much <laughs> writing in addition to your full-time job Oh, like having a backlog, essentially, um, because so uh, that's and that's where I'm running into problems right now is because I've I've emptied out my backlog. Um, so negative space took about like three years to write. Um, mm-hmm. So there was that gap between Amygdalatropolis and negative space uh, being published. Uh, so there was like that time to cultivate all of the material, like three years is a pretty decent amount of time. 
Um, and I was working on Pearl Death at the same time as uh, I was writing that. And uh, that was more because there was like very little writing with that and a lot of design focus. That was just exercising sort of a different um, skill set, a different kind of discipline that, you know, I, it's easier to put on music or a podcast and work on like design stuff than it is necessarily like write. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was mainly just like having the time and keeping my head down and laying low and getting these two projects together, which brings us to today where uh, I'm not exactly sure when my next thing is going to be out. Can I Me too. I also don't know. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I feel like it, it's nerve wracking to not have like your designated one big long term project. Like I recently finished a, a novel manuscript and I have felt like so ill at ease since then because I, I don't have whatever I haven't discovered what I want to really devote a larger project to since then. Yeah. Yeah. That's real. That's real. That's real as hell. Um, that that was uh, after Negative Space came out. I was like running into. I think that it might be a similar thing. I felt like I like didn't know how to write anymore. I like I feel like I forgot how to do that um, because you spend so much time in like the editing phases and like the idea of like going back to the point where you're just going to have to be satisfied with this thing speaking for myself this thing being like pretty bad for a significant amount of time like maybe like years of like this project like not being good um yeah it's tough to get back into that after focusing on polishing things and like getting them up to sort of a level that you're satisfied with no, that's that's real as hell yeah. Yeah. yeah i think writing routines so so underestimate the like exploratory garbage phase of of your next great project you know it is completely one and two are exploratory garbage <laughs> and, and absolutely absolutely it, it's interesting like um I, I was lying a little earlier like so i know like the current project i'm working on is a uh, short story collection just because after the the easiest thing to do was like pump out a few short stories mm -hmm. um and there were some of them that I that ended up getting like published because I had committed to certain um, anthologies or projects that like I'm not entirely satisfied with. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm liking the idea now of going back to those and like retooling them and like getting them up to snuff again. Um, there was it felt like I was going through all of like many of the stories that I was writing it just wasn't at that level or didn't like, um, it wasn't coming from that space where I want writing to come from, where it's, yeah. you're trying to do something as opposed to like doing something as opposed to doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 100%. Hmm. Yeah. No, that's a that's a very relatable moment to be in because God, mm. God knows I've, I've been tooling with this, the same things for a long time of trying to find the space to allow them to be themselves rather than their intentions. Like, yeah, I, I, I get that. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I just saw this, um, this, there was a little retrospective on this, uh, video game called hotline Miami. And these like, it was like an yeah. independently done. It was, uh, a couple of, um, just like two developers 
and it really like kind of struck they were like talking about it's like our a big part of our design ethic is that we always just try to make something that we want to play mm-hmm. like a make like mm-hmm. something that we want and i was realizing i had kind of fallen out of that habit where i was trying to make something that i thought what other people would like, which isn't what I was doing before. Um, and that really kind of hit home that I need to get back into that space and like, how do I make, figure out what I want to see and then figure out how to make that. Okay. Can I ask you a kind of personal question? Is that right? Sure. Unless you want to go, Emily? You go. Um, go, go. Yeah. Uh, so what, what is the thing that you want to make then? Like, so what's the thing that you're, tr- that, that feeling that you're trying to get to of the thing that you want to have exist in the world that you're not seeing? Oh, my goodness. Um, Damn, Ben. Going on a big question there. No, that's good. (laughs) That's good. Um, I think with this project, this collection, I I want to, for this specifically, I just want to make something that's like a little aggressive and user hostile in a way, just because Mm -hmm. I, I, I just love that. I love just bringing up like another terminology, like from video games, like people talk about the idea notion of like friction of, Mm -hmm. um, as you are dealing with these different forces, there's other ones that are acting on you and that's where kind of the interesting stuff happens. I really like that idea. And I like the idea of, um, like work that Gary Shipley or Blake Butler Mm -hmm. does like that, um, is like a little bit like hostile. Uh, to yeah. sort of a reading because I, I think just like very interesting things can happen that those spaces um, yeah, so yeah I kind of want to do that especially with something like Shipley as an inspiration there because yeah. his stuff gets harsh like yeah. I, I remember reading Cryptospasm and that's one of the few books that I've ever had to actually like put down while reading because it was just like this is this is too much right now like that that's yeah. a it gets intense like yeah yeah he, he is uh he has brutal prose, very brutal yeah. prose. Yeah. <laughs> In like a it's dense way or uh... both. Like it's um another person is uh, Joe Coke. Have, have either of you read uh, Wingspan of Severed Hands? No. Um, they write this in this. They have this insane talent for um, description that they end up using to describe these. Um, have hyper hallucinatory things that should not be um and by describing them so well it essentially like manifests them kind of like makes it flesh in the mind um Mm. and i I feel like gary shipley has like aspects of that too where it's it's not so much that it's dense to the point of being impenetrable but there's there's a lot there's like the way that prose kind of twists through the narrative, I guess. That's the only way I can kind of describe it. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the the images to become becoming very immediate where it feels like threatening to be in the same room as the book kind of thing, yeah. like, is how I feel, like, how I felt when I've read someone like Shipley. But The Wingspan of Severed Hands, I'm, I'm going to write that down because I would love to check that out based on title alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that sounded uh, what, what we, we in the show call uh, like Ben's... Bin shit. That sounds like bin bait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what we in the biz call bin bait. Ah, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> I think that epiphany of like, wow, I feel like I'm writing this to please my imagination of what other people want rather than writing what I really want. Um, relate to that in so many ways. I think I think it's been like restated by a ton of people. But one way that I really liked how that advice was stated um, 
Kurt Vonnegut's eight rules to writing. Um, that mm. was essentially among them. I'm going to read it because I really love this. This was very influential for me back in the day. Um, <clears throat> his rule number seven. Write to please just one person. If you open a window and make love to the world, so to speak, your story will get pneumonia. Mm. Yeah, completely, completely. Um, well, that goes to the whole thing of you write as personal and specific as possible, and that's what ends up um, connecting with people because, yeah. you know, like, we, we aren't as individual as, like, we like to think or, like, who would like to be or have been taught or something like that. And, like, um, and we can even, like, relate to experiences that are different from what we experience. And, yeah. You know, the, yeah. The universal is in the specific. The more specific we are with an experience, the more universal mm-hmm. and relatable it'll feel. Yeah, completely. Well, cool. Um, <laughs> speaking of Blake Butler. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we here on the Good Writing Podcast are cruel to our guests. We make them do homework. Um, so, <laughs> BR Yager has selected um, what we are going to read and the craft element that we're going to talk about on this episode. Um, BR, do you want to introduce like what made you choose this one? Sure. Um, I chose this passage from Blake Butler's 300 million because it terrified me when I first encountered it. Um, and it, it deals with a form that is often done. That's hard to do well, essentially, mm-hmm. which is, um, I have a hard time calling it a fourth wall break because that feels like very gimmicky and this doesn't feel very gimmicky. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the idea of addressing the reader, or the viewer um, directly, um, as well as using second person, uh, two things that I love that I think are exceptionally hard to do well. Yeah. So um, I want to give you the opportunity, if you'd like to read the section the, that you brought in, or if you want one of us to read it, we can. That's totally up to you. Sure. Yeah, either way. Sure, I can do that. That'll, that'll be fun. I, I love this passage so much. Um, something in this room begins to shake. This room where you are sitting with your hands before you, reading. You don't hear it be as I said that it began. You refuse to take part in trying to hear thereafter because I'm talking about you directly to you and this object is a book. You don't like the idea of me communicating through you outside of time, but there is something in the room, shaking behind your back or just downstairs or maybe by the window where you sleep or in the curtains, soft as air. What is shaking? Will you hear it? In the room where he is, Flood does. He hears the shaking like I have heard, though to him it feels like it's inside him. Is it inside him? I think someone is at your door. <laughs> yeah. This is so weird. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. 300 million. Yeah. 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 The, the best book about killing every person in America ever written. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, hold on, yeah. maybe I should have looked up this book before this episode. I'll be audience stand-in. It's about what? It's ostensibly about that. It, it's in many ways a response novel to um, Roberto Bolaño's 2666, which was about the, um, the uh, femicide that occurred in um, Juarez, Mexico. Um, the repeated killings of women there, um, and it was kind of written in response to that as a version where ostensibly there is this serial killer or group of killers, as it may be, um, that has 
that proceeds to attempt to kill every single human being in America, and, <laughs> and it devolves into this huge orgiastic like thing of violence and, and destruction. It, it's an excellent read. Um, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, and that passage, I believe, that's the fir- the first time that it addresses the reader directly. So that's like mm-hmm. page one hundred and sixty out of like five hundred pages, and so the the initial part uh, initial structure of the book mutates wildly as it mm-hmm. goes on is it starts off as it's a there's this um police detective named uh, ian flood uh who is going through these records and these like diary entries and writings of this uh serial killer who's been kidnapped so it's in the style of these um writings by a killer and then the investigator's uh analysis of that as it goes on, it gets twisted. There's lots of, um, I don't even know how to describe that. But uh, yeah. if Flood gets cap- trapped inside of a videotape at some point, if I remember <laughs> correctly. Like, it's, right. yeah. And everything may or may not be happening. Yeah, yeah. And it actually goes to like some very kind of like beautiful and transcendent places as it like goes mm-hmm. on. It gets farther away from the narrative of, it, it's kind of like, what I like about it is that it doesn't start and stop at, you know, killing everybody in America. Yeah. It, like, breaks through to this, like, part of where it gets just, like, very, very, um, I, I don't even know. I don't even know how to describe it. It's a wild it, book. It, it feels like it gets to that point where it's, like, you know, it, as you said, it moves past that more into this, like, interrogation of, like, the self as it can possibly exist or not exist and like what is it to think without a self to be thinking kind of thing like i i think that it kind of goes into spaces like that like very like you said transcendent very much attempting to reach for the sublime Mm -hmm. through this like imagistic layer of violence um and, and i think we begin to see that in this passage that you selected that kind of reaching past things because now suddenly the book is no longer like a book that is separate from you now you're implicated in what's being written here like you're you're you suddenly are an active participant in the thought process of the book or of the author or whoever it is you consider the narrator to be in this moment that you've given us like yeah it's absolutely yeah. And, like, the implication that this is happening, like, inside your world, that, that mm-hmm. this is, um, this isn't just, this isn't just an object that's existing inside your world. These are, like, events that are, like, carrying out, going on, like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's wild. 160 yeah. pages in to then start using you to address the reader. That is yeah. really... That would be a very different reading experience. That would that that would that would be very noticeable, as you said. <laughs> and Absolutely. in this passage that you selected, it doesn't start like the you isn't in the first sentence, it's halfway through the second sentence. This room where you are sitting with your hands before you reading is the second sentence in this passage. So it's not even the opening of this paragraph. It kinda of like slides in. Um, wow. Mm-hmm. Weird. Absolutely. And it- when I first read this, it was like the perfect conditions because I was in bed, I was upstairs. So, mm-hmm. it, like, th- that's kind of the in- one of the interesting things with using, like, second person or, like, trying to, specifically trying to directly 
uh, address the reader is that like there's some like risks in here essentially mm-hmm. because that mm-hmm. could you know like you you can suspend your disbelief enough but like to get the full impact you kind of you need to be in a room you can't be mm-hmm. like outside or anything mm-hmm. um, you need to be upstairs there there's um I just think that's like there's just like really good risks that like pay off really well mm-hmm. especially in certain certain situations and i love that mm-hmm. he like went for that because it's it doesn't necessarily work in every situation it's yeah it, it lends it over to like you know it, it's a great example i think of like give and take that you can get in writing sometimes like because it but it's also like an interesting really sidelong way of doing that because you know, oftentimes the author isn't going to be considering whether or not you're in a room when you're reading this or whether or not you're upstairs but and can, and factoring that into the kind of risk-taking that they're able to do. But it's really incredible that he is actually taking, like, the physical space that the object that is the book will be in when it is being read as a part of the writing process almost. Like, that, it's, that's... It's also yeah. a funny signal to the reader, right? Like, this, it's a 500-page book about investigating a serial killer doesn't super duper sound like a beach read but it's also like instructing the reader you are expected to be sitting in a spooky room with long curtains mm-hmm. and it better be mm-hmm. nighttime. like this is the environment for the book right so it's teaching you how to read it that's um, that's a really interesting thought like because you can also look at the those previous like 159 pages as like like you're saying as like the instructions for being in that like we're going to like like you're saying like i'm going to create this mood and atmosphere within the story that suggests a certain like place and time to be engaging with it which um i don't really feel like you get with a lot of i guess you get with like a lot of books like there's i've read like horror books on the beach or outside Mm -hmm. or in daylight and things like that um but there's that's yeah that's really interesting the idea of like training someone to read in a certain way which is like really appealing to me yeah i mean i think Mm -hmm. most books are written in a uh, more following the escapist model right like let me transport you in the story i'm going to transport you to where i'm going and and this is uh, a level of thought about where he expects his readers to be that i don't think most authors have definitely definitely that's really fascinating huh yeah, and um, I want to kind of center in a little bit more on the, uh, the second person of it all also, because, like, you mentioned that as being something that's, like, difficult to capture well without it being kind of cheesy, like, mm-hmm. without it being sort of overly, like, you know, Scooby-Doo or spooky sort of thing. Like, it, instead, we, we have this thing where it it's slips more naturally into the second person, like, you, you know... Emily mentioned earlier, you know, it doesn't begin with the you. It starts with something in this room begins to shake, so it feels like it's part of the narrative, potentially, or or the uh, scene being described. But then this room where you are sitting comes immediately after that to kind of allow the... Um, to kind of, like, trick the reader into placing themselves into the space, almost. Um, and, and I'm wondering, like, what is it that set that sets this second person usage apart from like other less successful second person usage, I guess. Like, I guess that's the question I took a long time to get to. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, Oh yeah. No, no worries. Um, I feel like there's a lot of prose that's written in second person that could have just as easily been uh, first or third person. Uh, I mm-hmm. think that that's like one of the big things that sets this apart is that this wouldn't work in any other 
type of perspective. Um, you know, like you could, you could have like, this person is somewhere sitting in a room reading this, but it, it just wouldn't work. It like wouldn't mm-hmm. have that impact. You know, it's, it's not very like technical or crafty, but like, just like vision and intent is just everything. And like, can't really be downplayed with that. A part of this that is very weird um, is the mix of their second person. And then the detective flood is a character in the third person. <laughs> And then also there is an eye, a narrator, narrator writing this to you and making you know that this is writing to you through the book. The, the will, I want to read a part of it. Will you hear it? In the room where he is, Flood does. He hears the shaking like I have heard, though to him, it feels like it's inside him. What? So, so tell me more about how, how does this balance going from breaking the fourth wall, talking to the reader, the you, and then also still having flood. Like, tell me more about why this is freaking weird. I haven't seen it elsewhere. What makes this work here? Oh yeah. Um, I think like a big part that just makes it work is also just the language that like, right. and in terms of like, it just, again, he, he just has like a really good notion of craft and like, not even like craft, but just like, good taste um but i think that like you know having established like it really really i think it, a big part of it is that it's coming on the heels of like something an already established narrative it's like something yeah. that's specifically being in inserted to like disrupt and like shake it up a bit um i don't think like you wouldn't be able to like it wouldn't have worked if you would put that like on page one or page 15 or something like I think like a big reason that works is the greater context of that that you talking about training again you've been trained to like know about this character that this character is the protagonist and but at the same time you are going in with the understanding that this is a character within a book um that you're just reading about not and like that's kind of, oh almost like a passive we're, pre- we're presuming a passive participation in this story. Mm-hmm. And this makes it a, this like, after so much time of being very passive and reading the notes of other people, taking notes and analyzing notes, writing about other notes, you're suddenly in it, in this world that he mm-hmm. is creating there. So after this section, how much more you happens? I don't, I don't necessarily remember. I know it uh, creeps up a few times. I've only read it once, and it was a few years ago. Um, but that passage always really stuck with me. It, it's sparing, though. It, it doesn't, it isn't, he never overdoes it. Okay. I, um, it. But it comes up, again, I think part of that is like having taste and limiting it. Because um, yeah. it does, it pops up occasionally, but like not very often. And you know, that's kind of what creates the power there, I think. It's like how it's used sparingly. <laughs> Y'all have weird taste. I'm angry. <laughs> yeah, Emily, you weren't ready for there to be two of me. There's two of us. There's two of us. The bin is so real, this app. <laughs> I'm all for it. Um, yeah. So after this, it kind of returns to like, Flood is our protagonist, and he does actions that the story like. There's a yeah, yes and no. There's uh, <laughs> there's there, there's parts where um, where there's other investigators who start putting in notes who are different from him, 
and and they start saying it's like oh you know flood didn't know what the hell he was talking about he had to get taken off the case because he was like going crazy and stuff like that. Then there's others who are saying Flood never existed. He, he wasn't <laughs> anyone who was on here. Yeah. Um, it, like, a, like a big, and it's not in like, it isn't in a like meta, like, like, a, like a very corny like meta way. Like, like I think one of the reasons why like that passage works too is like a lot of the book is just kind of like breaking down a lot of like artifice of, you know, what fiction is and engaging mm-hmm. with fiction. I feel like that sounds so cliche because it's been like spit out about like so many kind <laughs> of like things that aren't very good. Um, but, <laughs> but really like that's part of sort of the transcendence of like, you know, here's this book that's like essentially about like a, a classic thriller uh, premise of this detective hunting a serial killer. And then it stops becoming that it turns into something else. And then that's, that something else turns into another something else as things go. And eventually it just kind of breaks down into here are words that are communicating um, experiences across time or like states of being across time. So it goes from kind of being like a, it goes from being like what we normally think of of a book, like as having a story and everything to what a book really is, which is just a bound object with words in mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So weird. Yeah. 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 <laughs> completely agree on that. And just like that, that's something that I love about Butler's work in general. It's not just contained to this also. I think that's something he's interested in throughout um, his, uh, his writing is doing that sort of, you know, the, the, that act of like really deeply interrogating what it means Lest I think what makes him so interesting is not so much that he's trying to interrogate what writing is so much as he's trying to interrogate what reading is a lot of the time. Yes. Like, yeah, he wants to bring the he wants to bring the reader into an unknown space and to interrogate what it means when you have sat down with the book and gone from beginning to end. And I just find that so fascinating also because I like in writing, I, I find that there are aspects of it that I have a lot of trouble with because they are always. I'm always limited by the fact that I am an author sitting down to create something using a series of techniques. Like I'm always bound to a series of techniques, um, and that's and seeing someone who is willing to not just acknowledge that those. Oh, that there are the techniques that the writer has to bring to it, but that the reader is also engaging in those techniques at the like in an almost like asynchronous way it is just just one of those really fascinating things that I it makes him such a fantastic author. Like absolutely, like, absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I just going back to your point of like not even necessarily like breaking down what writing or reading is. It's almost like breaking down the notion of like communication and experience and like language itself as like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. language as a way of delivering thoughts and images and interior experience. And the, the idea of um, the act of reading being this like very bizarre thing, if you get down to it of that, you know, Mm -hmm. like you're, you're reading these symbols, which are causing you to have an interior experience akin to like hallucination in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Um, like he, he's like very, very, like very keyed into that very clearly. I feel like with 300 million, it's like specifically so of that. Um, because there, 
to contradict a little bit like what I was saying before, like the, with the passage where he addresses you, it's kind of like him saying, hey, this is this is all real. This is really happening. Mm-hmm. And then eventually throughout the book, it the premise tends to be it's like, of course, like none of this is like real or anything. Mm-hmm. But that might extend out beyond the book, too, of like what parts of our experience are actually real because um, something that I'm like endlessly fixated on is the idea of that as human beings, you know, we are as living entities, we're uh, limited by a certain number of uh, senses in which we experience the world Mm -hmm. and which, you know, in our interactions with that world is going through all these different filters. You know, it's, it's just very, very like absurdly, um, God, my recall is just garbage lately. Um, it's, but it's, we're living yeah. in Panini. No one can remember yeah. any words. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but but yeah, like our, our experiences are like are are not the same as what the material world actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. the um, you know communication is not the thing; it's a representation of the thing, which I think is like a big thing that he gets into. This mm-hmm. like, formal experimentation sounds really fitting for the subject matter because detective mm. stories are often about unreliable narrators or unreliable sources mm. of information or at most detective genres like at some point everyone's like is the detective crazy he's too invested in the case or whatever <laughs> so to, to to take that to this extreme level um is fitting for this kind of a story completely completely absolutely um yeah it, it's uh, I, I feel like the, the the premise ultimately is that truth exists, but it's inaccessible to us, um, oh. mm-hmm. which is kind of like, which could be, you know, I mean, that's like the truth about like the majority. If, if you like look at any cases of, um, of just like, you know, fuck police, whatever anyway, but like, you know, like looking at like shoddy police work or like shoddy investigation, like um, the looking at the records for like the West Memphis three or something like that. And it's, you go through all these things and it's just, you know, obviously truth exists, but oftentimes it's just inaccessible. And there's like so much, many of our systems are based on the idea that truth is accessible. Um, Mm -hmm. But, and sometimes it is, but oftentimes it's not. And that's like a very hard thing to reconcile, I think, for a lot of people, like just for society in general. Damn. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, the, the, there's kind of that no turning back point when you realize that objectivity is kind of one of the myths of our, yes. of our society. Right. <laughs> like we, we've lost, if that was ever real, we've lost access to it for sure. Like, yeah. It, it wasn't. Yeah. I love yeah. this notion that like a lot of people seem to carry on that, uh, carry around that uh, things were like more accurate in like, like that mm-hmm. like scholarship and journalism was more accurate back in the day. It's like, if it like, we're, it's just, now it's just it's just being revealed to it how yeah. our current stuff is not true. You don't think that stuff was like happening like back then either? We just don't know about it. The, there yeah. used to be 
a thing in old newspapers where they would print important if true underneath a story where it would be letting you know that like if it was well if this did happen then well montana burned down but if montana didn't burn down ignore this yeah like yeah the old-timey version of putting a question mark in the headline yeah yeah (laughs) does this baby formula call us cause rabies yeah The answer is no, but... Um. <laughs> I mean, that was part of the reason I left the journalism industry. I, I used to be a reporter. Mm. Um, oh, well, okay. I Yeah, part of the reason I left the industry was because, like, the ethical standards were to pretend you don't have bias rather than to just get it out of the way first, right? Yeah. Um, to just, like, not acknowledge, you know, oh, maybe I due to my background am uh, more willing to hear out the okay uh, let's say I'm reporting on an allegation of something maybe if I'm uh, a white journalist maybe I'm more likely to believe like just whatever the cop tells me happened or the the, the, the white per- whatever um, just like to not acknowledge those biases rather than to say them up front and, and report around it uh, yeah it was definitely a something I disagreed with politically um, I think that's pretty relevant to, to, to what this section is doing too right um, to this like using this you and saying like I think someone is at your door right now in your room while you are reading this book this is a book um, yeah it's just constantly forcing people to uh, acknowledge where, where they stand in relation to the topic right personally uh, examine your bias or whatever it may be. Right. You, you, like, the something in this room begins to shake. You don't hear it because I said that began. You refuse to take part in trying to hear thereafter. Like, so <laughs> it's, it's telling you that there's something in this room that you are consciously ignoring because you've been made aware of it, um, which is also a, a, a big thing of, like, you know, the... the um, reeling from new knowledge that happens constantly like that you know regardless of like what one's everyone i think deals with that um but yeah the idea of um not wanting to like you know there being the evidence of something but you don't want to cross that threshold um you don't want to acknowledge your part in this in this world that's Mm -hmm. such a classic horror move right like that's definitely mm-hmm. the you know the scary music has started but like god i don't want to open don't want to peek around that corner don't want to look around right? yeah mm-hmm. right right Classic. oh completely completely <laughs> <laughs> oh man well well shit this is a great I section <laughs> thank you for bringing this to wait, us wait hold up yeah. we gotta do the we gotta do yeah. the BR yeah. how would you turn this into a um, yes. writing exercise BR how would oh. you turn this into a writing exercise it, it'd probably just be simple of um, write a piece that directly uh, addresses the reader um, mm-hmm. and do you guys just let people work? play with it how would this work for a non-horror story Clearly, the intention here is like I hear a sound. You don't want to acknowledge it. Like mm. this is horror. Um, how, uh, how would you Lind- do this in different genres? Have either of you read uh, Lindsay Lerman? No. At all. Um, 
she she has this great book that came out. Uh, I, I I'm from nowhere. This is not the book I'm talking about, but she has a new book that's coming out. Um, that I had the galley for. Um, Ooh, called. I believe that is called What Are You? Who Are You? I'm sorry. Please add What Are You? Which is entirely in second, which is fantastic and is entirely in second person. It's coming out this summer. Um, but it is not, it's not horror at all. It's um, this uh, just like very beautiful, like kind of dramatic um, narrative that's entirely in second person that I, I don't want to like give away anymore, um, you know, mm -hmm. give it a poor description or anything, but it's a fantastic book entirely in second person that, um, that is kind of addressing, um, the reader as sort of a certain person in a way that's like very, uh, that implicates in like, just, it's just a very, very beautiful, great book. Highly cool. recommend it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I love awesome. a, a story second person where it's like a specific protagonist, but it's just you doing the action. Mm -hmm. Those can be really fun. Yeah. Um, but this may be the only time I can recall reading anything um, that feels like it works for me, where it's addressing the reader specifically as you. Mm. Um, this is very different for me. Uh, mm. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's cool. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I don't find it very often. I feel like people get, uh, you know, pushed away from writing in second person from, you know, writing professors or workshop teachers. Mm -hmm. But I feel like, I feel like that that's instructions. Those are like bad instructions because they're for, um, people who aren't creative. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I mean, I think the thinking is always like if you're going to do something experimental, you should have intentionality behind it, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I definitely recall reading stories and honestly writing at least one story in workshop where I was just like, no, nah, it's randomly you. Get over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Same. Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes, yes. sometimes it's the thing that just uh, make will make something work, though. Like I've, I feel like I've saved a lot of pieces by changing it from changing it to you somehow um or there's just kind of an immediacy to it there's there's the other side of it which isn't like this and it's not really like addressing the audience but it's um it, it can make it a little bit more conversational like the way that as though you're telling a story it's like okay so you go to like blah 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 then you go to that um yeah etc the like general you there's got to be a more technical term for that that i don't know <laughs> right <laughs> the, right the, the, the uh the royal you, you. yeah um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah. cool craft yeah, exercise exactly. take something it you're just... writing take something you're stuck on and what would it be like if you addressed the reader directly mm. love it <laughs> all right thank you well before we head out, we like to uh, get a recommendation from everybody present. Um, it can be a book, it can be something else, whatever you would like. Is there is there anything you've been enjoying recently that you'd want to tell our listeners about? Oh my goodness. Whew. It's hard through the numbness of it all. Um, I've really <laughs> been 
enjoying hanging out with my wife. <laughs> that's, that's, I, that's, I already that's, recommended that's, hanging out with your loved ones two episodes ago. Yeah. 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 Jeez. Jeez. Um, uh, like, uh, so I've been on like a, I've been off the writing, the uh, reading kick right now. Um, mm. So, okay. A couple of things that have helped keep me going lately was I got back into reading comics, which has been just like really fun. And it's like, nice. it's less demanding, which is really mm-hmm. nice. Um, and then um, I've been, uh, I've been switching things up and like uh, doing some stuff with like graphic design um, just for myself nice. and visual arts. And it's just uh, exercising a different uh, creative outlet, which is, that is very, very different from writing, um, in practice, mm-hmm. especially, um, which is just like really nice uh, that like, just, I guess like doing something different, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. getting out of like habits, even good habits can be yeah. pretty rough right now, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, that's a great suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. I'm going to hop in. Speaking of doing something different, um, I got into woodworking. Um, I did not know what I was going through, but I went out and bought a miter saw um, and then got into woodworking. So I made a plant stand. um, Yo. And I want to show you guys a photo. I should have pulled this up. Oh. I made this. Oh, I could probably yeah, do down oh. a little bit. Oh, that's cool. Holy shit. Why do you guys Hell sound yeah. so fucking surprised? That's fucking nice. Because <laughs> it's your first try, Emily. That's why I sound so fucking surprised. <laughs> Yo, and damn, I'm ter- dude, I'm, great I'm, job. I'm terrible with my hands, so I'm just yeah. always impressed when people aren't. So that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, I had to remeasure yeah, this dude. a lot. Made some mistakes along the way for sure. I had to adapt. But, um, that's fair. That's terrific. Yeah, yeah, so I got into, I made that, uh, and I recommend <laughs> whatever fleeting, huh, maybe I should try that impulse you're having, if it's crafting, if it, I guess if it's not, like, anything addictive, um, just give it a go, just see how it goes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah completely. Take completely. your weird little craft fleeting thought and then execute upon it, that's my yeah. recommendation for this week. Absolutely, nice. perfect, yeah. Is, yeah, yeah, uh, I'll go a little more. Uh, uh, I'll go a little bit off topic on that, um, but I, I will on the comics kick. Uh, Br, you mentioned. Um, I'm going to recommend um, Manga Theater by Akira Toriyama, the creator of Dragon Ball. Um, it is a collection of short stories he did before Dragon Ball came out, kind of thing. It's in like the Doctor Slump era as well, and there are a bunch of his smaller like gag comics, and they're very funny and light. And, and if you are someone who likes anime and manga and is once again you know interested in the history of it so it's interesting to see this creator before he did the thing that he did for the rest of his life kind of thing like it's a it's neat yeah and it it comes in a nice big hardcover volume um but the ebook is um a little bit cheaper than that and that's what i got so yeah nice awesome so you just said the thing that he did before the thing that he did for the rest of his life which is i like that phrasing but also did this man take dragon ball z to his grave like he died doing dragon ball well no he's still doing it he's still alive and just still doing dragon ball yeah (laughs) yeah 
That's yeah. wild. They still, yeah, they still he, got he's... the Dragon Balls going? They, they don't have them collected yet? <laughs> well, the problem is when you get them all, they spread all across the galaxy again, so you gotta go get them after you make your wish. And your wish is always to bring Goku back to life, and then he dies in the process of getting them again. So, you know, it's just, it, it's it's the hero's journey, the endless Dragon Ball cycle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just read uh, Akira for the first time. I had seen the movie several times, but I had never mm-hmm. read the comics. And man, that was that was a journey. That was lovely. It, it's a trip. It, it's weird how when you realize in that manga that the um, that uh, someone who's maybe in three seconds of the movie yeah. is about four volumes of the manga. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, completely, completely. It, uh, it's fascinating. I, I, I had no idea. Um, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on, BR. This has been incredible. It's been an honor to meet you and an honor to have you on, dude. Like, this rules. Thank you. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. That's very kind. Well, <laughs> come again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Please. Definitely. <laughs> oh, anytime. Would love to. But yeah, Yay. thank you so much. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, thanks for listening to the Good Writing Podcast, everybody. It's been great to have you here. Hey, thanks for listening to the Good Writing Podcast with our special guest. That was B.R. Jaeger. An absolute a, a hero, a hero to the world. Um, and if you want to know, Ben is blushing a little bit. Like, Ben is really delighted. Yeah, no, it, it's like, you know, you say I'm blushing a little bit, but actually it's a lot. Like, I just put myself in shadow in order to uh, hide myself. <laughs> when we are logged off the call, we just silently went for like a whole 30 seconds. <laughs> we went, yeah. 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 It, it was. It was a very good one. Um, but, but yeah, thank you all for listening. Um, if you're still here at this point, that means you liked it. So that means you'll rate us five stars on whatever platform you chose to listen to us on. If you won't rate us five stars, please reconsider doing that. And if after the reconsideration you still don't want to, walk away. Why did you listen for this long? It's been nearly an hour. Bro, um, yeah. Even yeah. at two times speed, that was a commitment for something you don't consider five stars. Yeah. Not here for it. Not, not here for your actions if that's what you chose to do go for a walk my dude reconsider reconsider again as the kids as the kids say touch grass um that's <laughs> we talk mad shit for people with like three reviews on itunes um yeah no 100 percent. please review us on itunes please give us five star hell we'll take four star um no we won't no we won't no no, no we, we only want five star five that fucks it up don't put four stars ironically only five stars um and, and reviews help a lot and if you want to reach out to us to ask about anything we talked about on this episode or any other episode we've talked we, we've had in the past please email us at goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com feel free to send us a voice memo there as well if it is of good sound quality we will very likely play it on the air and even if it's just of okay sound quality we'll probably play it anyways yeah we got like middling standards on sound quality and then um if you got something quick for us we're on twitter at goodwritingpod all right thanks everybody thanks everybody have a good week 